The word today comes from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The word of our Lord. Amen. Good morning. You know, I uh, one of the things that my father passed down to me uh, growing up was uh, this desire to go out in the woods and be a man and kill things, to hunt. So I'm from Kentucky um, and really resonate with people, you know, in rural areas. And, and so one of the things they taught me to do was hunt. And so last year I had the opportunity to go hunting. And it was one of those mornings where it was everything was going perfect. Everything was great. I mean, the, the, there was a crisp, cool fall air. It was about this time last year. Uh, I was up in my stand. Everything was going well until my bow fell out of the tree. I'm in one of those climbing stands, okay? So picture this. You, got your, you, got your, you get up in the stand, and you, you got to climb up this thing. It's a lift up your feet. you got to climb all the way up the tree. So I'm, I've climbed up the tree. I dropped my bow. I've got, my weapon is at, at the bottom. And so to get my weapon, I've got to... I got, I got to climb all the way back down this tree. The morning is completely shot at this point, and it's like 8 o'clock. I'm super frustrated. So at this point, I decide that I'm just going to go Rambo on this thing, all right? So I just pick up my bow. I start walking around the woods, like ready to draw back and just take something out, all right? And it's like, it was one of those things where I was so driven to bring something home in the back of my truck, all right? So I was walking around the woods. I walk out into this like 40-acre field. Okay, and, uh, and I noticed like these, these couple of deer like over in the side and so, but they're like 400 yards away. Okay, so I'm like, I'm like, they see me, I, you know, I see them, I don't think they see me. So I just like start inching to the side of the field and I start going around like, remember Rambo mindset. And so I get over, I get like 150 yards away. They come into like 60 yards and I actually shoot a 60 yard shot, which is pretty far. And I actually, I har let me say this, I harvested that animal. Okay. So I took that thing home with me, and it was one of those things where I realized that I was absolutely driven to take something home with me that morning. And, and today, what we're talking about in the book of Philippians is glory. Now, you won't even see, really, when you first look at Philippians 2, you won't look at it and think, hey man, this thing's about glory. Uh, but it's because it is so close to Jesus, it's about nothing but glory. That's what's going on in Philippians 2. And really what I want to talk about is this pursuit of glory. So what's glory? Glory is one of those kind of ambiguous terms that's really hard to define, right? Glory is a weightiness, a worth, a significance that you and I were absolutely made to obtain. Sometimes we think that 
uh, that our passions are too strong, that we, that we chase things too much, that our, that our desires, just like I was that morning, our desires are too strong. Um, but, but that's really not the case. We were made for these desires. We, we were made missing something, okay? God made us perfectly in His image. Listen to this from 1 Corinthians 15, 49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of the dust, so Adam, we were made perfectly in God's image, we fell. And this is our reality now, that, that we are missing something. But he says, he goes on to say this in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 49. We shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So what is that passage talking about? It's talking about this chasm between how we're created and, and where God wants to take us. And in the middle is this pursuit of glory. So we were, made, we were made perfect, let me say this, made perfectly resembling God perfectly in His image. But when sin entered the world, there was this chasm, there's this hole in our heart. You know, you ever, you ever, you realize, hey, you know, there's this, there's this, you know, this cheesy, like, you know, love lines that we, those, those jokes that we make, you know, you know, I tell Megan those all the time and she's, she laughs to make me feel good, I think, you know. Yeah, I said, hey, did it hurt? And she's like, well, what are you talking about, Ryan, when you fell from heaven? You know, like I just say like little cheesy things like that all the time, but we're, we're made missing something now. That is our current reality. And, and this pursuit of glory is where we're at now. We're, we're, we're chasing glory, whether it's from ourselves or it's through Jesus. And C.S. Lewis once preached a sermon in November of 1941. And it was called The Weight of Glory. And in, in preaching the sermon, like the, the, how he set the sermon up was, was he said, hey, look, uh, he asked a question. He says, what is the highest virtue? What is the highest characteristic that man seeks to find? Like if he had that virtue, he would be set. And about 95% of the people said, you know, if, if I was able to be selfless, then I would have, have attained a great virtue. And then he said there was about 5% of people that were, that were older and wiser, and they said, you know, actually the greatest virtue is love. Because when you get love, you get selflessness. And he goes on to say this uh, in, in that sermon. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. He goes on to say this, We are half-hearted creatures fooling around about with drink and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased. So, so the problem isn't desire. Like you were made to desire significance. The problem is, as C.S. Lewis says, we're far too easily pleased with lesser glories. We're, we're far too easier pleased. It's like, it's like when I was a kid, my, my, my father is a, a hard-working blue-collar man, and every Friday night he would take us out uh, to eat at Lawrenceburg, Kentucky's finest dining establishments, okay? I'm talking about like KFC, you know, Captain D. I mean, we, we ran the circuit, and it was great, but this one night, we, we went to this, like, all-you-can-eat steakhouse, and it was, it was awesome. Like, I loved it. And kids, you know what I'm talking about? The all-you-can-eat dessert? You know, you get all the ice cream you want. It's amazing. 
until I actually had like a really nice steak from Ruth's Chris, right? And you're like, man, I'm not going back to Golden Corral. Are you kidding me? Like this thing is delicious. He, he says that our appetite, basically what Luce is saying is that our appetite uh, for glory is, is far too easily pleased. So what would it look like to actually find satisfaction in life? What would it look like to actually have such a desire for glory and such a, a satisfaction that's met that we actually leave with infinite joy, as Lewis said. So my heart for you today, church, as we dig in Philippians 2, which is really talking about this whole idea of infinite glory, is that you would taste uh, infinite joy, that you would, you would see that infinite joy is found in no one other than the person of Jesus. But you would also begin to see and recognize and notice the counterfeit glories that your heart so easily chases and is so easily temporarily satisfied with. Because when we begin to see that, we begin to see that God has so much more for us, we won't settle for lesser glories than that. So let's dig in. i got three things I want to tell you today. Um, the kind of the big idea of where we're going is you were made for glory, and that's a good thing. You were made for glory, and that's a good thing. A lot of times we think about glory as something that we give right? Not something that we receive. But all over the Bible, the Scriptures say that we are kind of objects of God's glory, that God's glory rests on us, that we were made for that. So the, kind of the three elements of where Philippians 2 takes us is this, is the race for glory, the revelation of glory, and then the reception of glory. So let's look at the race for glory from Philippians 2, uh, 1 through 4. It's a fascinating passage here. Uh, a lot of scholars call this the hymn of Christ. Um, he says this, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. So he's asking all of these, he's making all these rhetorical observations, like all of these things are yours in Christ, therefore, it's kind of an if-then kind of statement, if this is true, and it is true if you're a Christian, then this is what your life should look like. And so he's, he's kind of, what he, what he does first and foremost is he gives us some implications of what a Christian's life looks like who's rightly aligned with God. And, and the three observations that he gives us is he talks about unity, he talks about humility, and he talks about service. He says these are kind of marks of people that get the gospel that have been touched by God, whose lives have been transformed by God. So in 2.2, in Philippians 2.2, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. So why is unity so significant? Because when we, when we have been bought uh, with the same love of God, uh, our lives resemble one another. We are, willing, we are willing to die to things that create division uh, in the body of Christ for the sake of unity. Because we, are so, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. We are so strong together, church. We are so strong together, but, but, but yet so many times we let our pride um, um, kind of get in the way of, of the unity that God wants to have. We, we, make, we make tertiary and secondary issues primary issues. And the Scriptures call us not to do that, to keep primary things as primary things. So the, the big thing he says is, hey, if you, if you have the same love in Philippians 2.2 2 here, have the same love. Then we, then we have the life of humility. We have the life of service because the Lord has really touched our life with the love that comes from Christ. He goes on to say in verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition 
or conceit, but, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Does anybody uh, in here kind of have that nailed down? I mean, you, you, do that, you do that good, right? No, we don't do that well. It's really difficult to do. One of the things that I found interesting about this verse is I, as I looked at the original language, is that word conceit is, uh, you know, I think we would define it as maybe excessive self-pride, excessive selfishness is maybe someone that would be kind of conceited or kind of, you know, boast in themselves. Um, but, but, but in the Greek language, what that word means is empty glory. Empty glory. So, so someone that who's, who's conceited is looking, is, is on the hunt for glory, is racing after glory, but is only coming up empty. And, and you've been around people like this, and I, I've been this person before where I can't wait to make my ideas known in a group of people, right? Um, you know, your heart's kind of, kind of shifting, it's kind of leaning in a bad place whenever you can't wait to make your idea known uh, or the thing that you've accomplished known. We're, when we do that, church, we are chasing empty glory. Um, we're, we're chasing things that are hollow. Uh, I remember uh, my six or seven years old, uh, it, the tradition in my home was uh, every Easter, you got an Easter basket. Now my family, they, they weren't even believers, but we did the whole Easter celebration. We'd even go to church that day. Um, on Easter Sunday, every year up until my seventh birthday uh, was pretty much the same, or the seventh year of my life. Every much, everything was pretty much the same, and I'd get this Easter bunny every year. It was, like the, it was like the prize in the basket, you know what I'm talking Like this 12-inch solid chocolate, milk chocolate Easter bunny, and I would always make it a race to try to devour that thing as quickly as I can, and it would always end up beating me down because my stomach would be hurting so bad afterwards. It was a great thing. I always look forward to it until this one year. And I'm not sure if, you know, there were budget cuts in the family or what happened, but I opened that bad boy up and I bit off the ear. I always started with the ear, okay? I bit off the ear and that thing was hollow. So it, it looked exactly the same. It had the appearance of stature and strength. But when I got into that thing, it was nothing. It was empty. It was hollow. And this is exactly what conceit is is its hollow glory. It has the appearance of strength. It has the appearance of worth, but it's absolutely hollow. Self-promotion is empty. We may get the momentary uh, pleasure of comparison, uh, making ourselves known and, and kind of triumphing over someone else, but it's absolutely empty in the end. And that's one of the, the, the kind of things that we try to manufacture glory out of. Colossians 1.27 kind of tells us the secret of where true glory comes from. Paul says this, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. He said, okay, what's the mystery? Well, the mystery is this, is Christ in you the hope of glory. So we all have this hope of glory, this hope of significance, this hope of worth. And we, we knock on many different doors trying to, to find the correct answer for it for us. And, and we float in and out of different things, church. It's just what we do. But he said, hey, Christ in you is the hope of glory. That's the mysteries that God would come from, from, from heaven above, that the Father would send Him, that He would take on flesh, and that He would become ours. This is exactly what Philippians 2 goes on to talk about. Verse, verse 4 uh, says this, let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also the interest of others. Church, we can only do this. We can only do this when Jesus is alive in us. This is impossible to do apart from Christ being in us. 
St. Augustine, an early church uh, father from from the 4th century, uh, once spoke about this idea of disordered loves. He said, you know, we're we're people, uh, we're lovers. That's who we are. That's who who we're created to be. The The problem is not that we love and that we love to be loved. The problem is the source of our love and the order of our love. He says, okay, if you, if you uh, seek, let's just say, love from others before you seek love for God, you'll always be trying to get something from them to appease your heart, to, to, to satisfy your appetite of love. And it therefore will not be true love. He says the correct order of love kind of looks like this. God first, others second, and your, yourself third. When I was a youth pastor, we did this huge series on this, and we called it I'm Third. And that might, be a, that might be a great mantra for us to have as a church. Because the problem isn't denying yourself so much that you don't feel the love from God. That's, a, that's another ditch to jump in that's unhealthy. Like God has made us to be loved, but the source of love comes from God. And as we lay down our lives, God fills our hearts with love uh, as well. And this is kind of what Paul is talking about here. Let's go on to the second part here. Let's look at the revelation of glory. I think we've kind of made it clear that we're all on this hunt for glory. We're on this hunt for love, this hunt for satisfaction. And, and, and uh, the Scriptures tell us uh, the origin of this glory. So I want to look quickly at John 1 before we bounce back to Philippians 2. John 1, uh, 14 says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father of grace and truth. So the Father sent Jesus so that we could see glory. So we could experience glory in hopes that we might receive glory. That we might, we might find the significance that our hearts are searching for. Jesus then goes on to pray in John 17. He tells us how we will get that glory. The glory that you have given me, Jesus says in John 17.22, I have given to them that they may be one. So there's that theme of unity that comes along with it. Even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Now, Jesus prays that prayer uh, the, the, the night that He's taken into Roman custody and, then, and, and the, the you know, days before He'll be crucified. So he's telling them, what does it look like to receive glory? And, and death is an impending thing in front of him. And I'm reminded of this church, that death precedes glory. In Jesus' life, in our life. I, we, had, we had the opportunity to go to North Georgia uh, last few days. And uh, man, it's the first time I ever got to spend some, some good time in North Georgia. And we're, we're driving like on, I think they call it Blood Mountain or something like that. Like, there's so many curves. I mean like motorcycles all over the place. I'm like just trying to keep it between the lines. Kind of a nervous wreck. And, uh, but as we, we stopped a couple of times, we just looked out over the horizon. And we saw the, the beauty of all the changing colors of the leaves. It's this beautiful thing. And you know what I was reminded of? I was reminded of this fact that, that, that death is a beautiful thing. Because what's happening in this season? It's the slow death of the leaves falling and going to different places, and they change different colors as they die. Death is a beautiful thing. It's not something to be avoided, but, it's, but it precedes glory uh, in our lives. So, 
So Jesus goes on to talk about, um, well, Paul goes on to talk about how Jesus came, how, what Jesus did for us to receive uh, this glory. Now, you're going to notice I'm going to skip over verse 5. And the reason I'm going to skip over verse 5 is because it is the imperative. It is the thing that we are called to do. And I'm going to end with that today. I want to tell you what Jesus does first. And then I'm going to tell you what we're called to do uh, from that. So, G, uh, so in uh, Philippians 2.6, let's just walk through this kind of slowly uh, here. It, it tells about what Jesus did when He came. Who, Though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What's He mean by that? He didn't pull the God card when the crucifixion was on the horizon, okay? He didn't avoid the incarnation because He knew the pain that it would take to make you and I belong back to Him to redeem us. He didn't avoid that. He, he willingly embraced it. Verse 7, but He emptied Himself. He emptied Himself. He emptied Himself of the appearance of God so that we could experience the glory of God by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. That word servant means a slave. And being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, what has God done? God has exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So, so what do we... What do we notice about this? This, this self-emptying thing uh, has to become part of our story. This is, this is what Jesus did. He, he didn't avoid the incarnation, he, but He emptied Himself of the appearance of glory. And, and church, whenever, whenever we, kind of parallel, paralleling our life with, with, with Jesus's, whenever we, we try to produce instantaneous glory, it's always counterfeit. It's always empty. True glory comes from us laying down our lives. Laying down our lives because we're never more like Jesus than when we're dying to ourselves. So He empties Himself and He takes up a criminal status. I mean, death on a cross was the worst way to die. It was, it was a criminal status. It means, as Galatians, I think it's 3 or 4 says, uh, that it meant that you were cursed when you, when you took up a, a death on a cross. Um, so He became a curse for us. He, he, he took... He took off the all-powerful nature of who He was in God, the appearance of who He was in God. He didn't, he didn't take off His divinity. He just took off the appearance of His divinity so that we could be redeemed. And yet, you and I, if we're honest with ourselves, um, have a very difficult time humbling ourselves. And, and the reason we have a difficult time humbling ourselves is because we think that humility doesn't lead to future exaltation. We don't trust God with our pride. Luke 14, uh, 11 says this, um, everyone, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Um, that, that's not like a, it's not, Jesus wasn't saying, you know, hey, if you exalt yourself now, you know, you're probably, you know, maybe I'll humble you later. I don't know. He said, no, no, the scriptures say, you will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now that word for it, exalted there really means for us it's the pursuit of glory. We want to be exalted. And church, that's not a bad thing to want to be exalted. The problem is how are we going to be exalted? 
And the way that Jesus kind of lays it out for us in the Scriptures through His life is that He kind of turns everything on its head. It's, it's all reversed in Jesus. That, that, the, the, that the last become the first. All of these ideas of Jesus kind of turning things upside down. And this is how glory manifests itself in our lives. We, church, we are free uh, to be nothing because Jesus is everything. So maybe, maybe let's do this. Let's, let's, let's do a little diagnostic test in and of ourselves. Think about the last conflict that you got in. Maybe it was with your spouse, with your mom, or your dad, argument. Uh, maybe your employer, one of your coworkers. Um, what, what was the posture of your heart as you kind of entered into that conflict? Was it to immediately uproot and to, uh, and to, and to kind of tear the person that, that you're in a conflict with apart? Or was it maybe one of these postures where you're like, you know, let me, let me check myself first. Let me, let me see what's going on in my heart first before I assume uh, what's going on in your heart. Because I think that's what the Scriptures call us to do. Um, and, and it's interesting how, how Paul ends this, this passage here because he talks about this idea of your knee bowing. Um, and and it, he says that every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And what, what I think about as I read that is, is it's not an if statement. It's a, it's a when. Like when is your knee going to bow to Jesus instead of yourself? Like, like when does that happen in your life? Is it, is it going to happen before you, before you go on to be with the Lord? Like you bow, you begin to bow your knee now in life? Or is Jesus going to make you bow your knee at the end of time? Um, because your knee is going to bow to Jesus. So I know that we have, in New City Church, we, have, we always have folks in here that are kind of on that spiritual journey that have not yet crossed the line of faith. And this is one of these passages that, that, that I just want to point out that it's a real certainty that we're going to bow our knee to Jesus. And, um, and so the question is not if, but when. Lastly, let's, let's go on to look at th this idea of the reception of glory in verse 5. He says, have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Um, I think the New English Bible has a better translation of this verse. Um, it completely changes things because in the, in the ESV, it makes it, makes it kind of seem like, hey, Jesus is our example. Let's go be like Jesus. Let's just kind of bolt on this servant attitude and get on with life. And wh while that's true that Jesus is a model for us, He's so much more. The New English Bible translates it like this. Let your bearing toward one another rise out of your life in Christ. So we see that, that our life in Christ, as Colossians 127 said, is the hope of glory. It says, let, let, let the way that you live your life rise out of that. So instead of trying to enter into these situations where we want to die to ourselves, where we really want to be humble. Because I meet very few people that don't want the life of a servant. But I meet all kinds of people, including myself, that find it very difficult to walk this thing out. And I think we're looking for the wrong origin of strength many times. The origin of our strength is our life in Christ. So as we think about what it looks like to be sanctified, I think so many times we look to our own strength to walk this out. But what may be a better practice is to look back at our justification, what Jesus has done for us to learn how to walk this thing out. So our justification in Christ can be the greatest source of our sanctification as we walk this thing out. And uh, yeah, so 
I want to I want to quickly just show you. I want to I want to run through this whole thing. I want to put all the pieces together because you're probably trying to put them together in your mind now. So I I, I built a little chart here to kind of show you kind of the implications of the gospel and what we see here. So let's look at this the race for glory. Let's look at point one here. So we looked at, at, at verse at verse at verse three in chapter two that we're empty. That's a huge problem in our life. We're empty. We're searching to be filled. What Jesus, we see in Philippians 2, He empties Himself. He makes Himself nothing so that we can be filled. Jesus, the, the Scriptures say in Romans chapter 5-5 five, five, that, that the, the Spirit pours God's love into our hearts. Th- think about that image. That God's love is poured into our hearts through the work of Christ. And then we receive this idea of glory. We're full. We don't need to go looking at lesser lovers because Jesus is all to us. Secondly, we, we find ourselves kind of worthless and arrogant. Uh, some of you, like myself in this room, find it very difficult uh, to see yourself made in the image of God. And when you look at the mirror, you find it very difficult uh, at what you see there. You find it very difficult to feel love that you look at yourself and you think of your life. But the whole point of what Jesus has done is that He took up the life that we could never live so that we can be satisfied with infinite worth in Christ. We don't have to look to ourselves for worth anymore. We don't have, and we have a world around us that's, that's, that's crying out to, to be satisfied, to feel worthy. And it's all found in Christ who didn't count equality with God to be thing, a thing to be grasped. Thirdly, we, we, we are indebted and selfish. So, 2.4 says we look to our own interest. We can't help but do that. We can't help but look to our own interest. We're always looking out for ourselves. But Jesus, He humbles Himself and He assumes our debt of sin and He becomes obedient to death. Think about that phrase, becoming obedient to death. Now, why would he have to become obedient to death? It seems like at any time in that whole crucifixion thing that played out, they could have just said, hey, look, guys, I'm, I'm not guilty of this. It's not me. But he became a criminal for us so that we could live debt-free lives. Jesus' sacrifice cancels our debt of sin forever. How many times does the enemy scream at you, reminding you of your sin, reminding you of how unworthy you are? Church, we cling to these promises because they're true, not because they're crafty. Because they're life. And lastly, we find ourselves hypocritical and unrighteous. And we we find ourselves trying to manufacture our identity in many different things that we do. We've talked about this. For men, it's usually work. For for women, maybe it's appearance. Maybe it's family. We try to craft our uh, identity out of these things. And Jesus loves us too much to let that go on. And so what does He do? He crushes us. Whenever we make an idol, He usually rips it up and destroys it. And it kills us in the moment. But it teaches us to seek Jesus. So Jesus overcomes the penalty of sin. Not just by dying um, a criminal's death, but by raising from the dead. And because of this, we are perfectly righteous. And that word righteousness is a word that we never use very much. But it's a word that we're always searching to find. We want to be righteous in God's sight. We want to be, we want, as Brandon said earlier, we want the smile of God to forever be upon us. Um, 
my, one of my Sunday school teachers when I was younger said this, um, that, that this idea of righteousness for us is this, is that it's, it's just as if we had never sinned and always, and as if we had always obeyed. Like that's how the Father sees us because of Jesus. Think about that. Just as if you never sinned and always as if you obeyed everything that God called us to. So, what does it look like for you today? I just kind of land this plane here. Uh, where, what's the order of your love? Um, are you seeking um, to craft things to make you feel uh, satisfaction and glory? Or is Jesus enough? Like if the cross wasn't enough, I don't know what will be. Um, and so I want to I challenge you today to, to, turn, to turn to Jesus. To stop turning to things that are empty and hollow. Um, but to seek Him. Um, so, um, I want to close with this quote from Andrew Murray. He talks about humility. And uh, he says this, Here's the path to the higher life. Down, lower, down. Just as water always seeks and fills the lowest place, so the moment God finds men abased and empty, His glory and power flow in to exalt and bless. Church, may we be a people that seeks to push ourselves down lower so Jesus can be made higher. And and friends, let Jesus love you. Let, let Let Him love you. Quit trying to earn it. It's ours to take a hold of. The work's already been done. We already have approval in the Father. Let, as Steve Brown says, let God hug you. You know, let Him give you a hug today. Feel the love of God in the person of Jesus and walk that out of your life. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for, uh, thanks for your word. Thanks for, um, for how you've sent Jesus to redeem us. To free us from the bondage of sin and to give us new life. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for trying to manufacture our own glory. Forgive us for filling our hearts with things that will never satisfy us. Father, don't weaken our desire for glory, but maybe change the course of our pursuit. Father, we desire to be made more into the image of Jesus every day. We, we get so tired of wrestling with our flesh, God. We get so tired of, of walking this thing called life out. And we get so worn down as we, as we think, about, think about how we feel. We think about how life bruises us, how it wounds us, how shame plagues us. Let us feel the love of God this morning. Let it be real in our hearts. Make us more into the image of Your Son, Jesus, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising its shame. Thank You, Father. In Christ's name, Amen.